Good morning. Um, I plan on, uh, because it stepped on my toes this week, I plan on stepping on everyone's toes today in a good way, in a good way. Um, this is mostly going to affect what we do in every moment of our day. So uh, whether you have a job, you don't have a job, or you're a stay-at-home mom, or you're a student, um, I believe God wants to do something in us and through us today. So here, here's kind of the thing that I want to start in, uh, with and end with is uh, this question is who you do what you do for matters. And that's really confusing. <laughs> who you are doing it for matters. That's what actually I have written. Uh, but it matters what we do. When we do something, it matters the why we're doing it. Um, and there's lots of great reasons for us to understand this. The reason really comes down to uh, when we do something, why are we doing it? Uh, if you have children, which I do, I talked about you in first service. Now you're here in second service, get to enjoy this. Don't worry, Jody, you get you get thrown in there in just a little bit. Um, but it, what we do matters. I mean, if you have a child and you say, hey, could you do this for me? Even if they do it, the, the why they do it is clearly seen. Or their displeasure in doing it is clearly seen. Yes. I will pick up the trash. Yes, I will take out the trash. Yes, I will gladly do that. Or yes, I mean, very rarely, they'll be, yes, Mom, I'm glad to stop what I'm doing and serve you in any way. Typically, that's not what happens. Typically, you see them faithfully do. And I have this argument with my oldest all the time because she always does what I ask her to do. And my only complaint is the in-between, her actually fulfilling what I ask her to do, is the when I ask her to her doing it, the argument that comes in between it. I'm like, I tell her, even in the middle of the argument, you're going to do what I ask you to do because you're a good girl. Like, she, she will. I mean, she just will. But she, she doesn't want to do it without a fight. She doesn't want to do it without, like, a debate of why she has to do it right now. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all can relate to that with me. Anybody? Okay. Um, and, you know, it, I, I don't want to just, I think sometimes it's easy for me to talk about my children because they're my children and, and they're not me. But uh, I want to throw me a little bit under the bus. It can happen with us, our husbands and wives, when when we're asked to do something. I, I mean, I know several times where, you know, I feel like I've had a busy day and I'm tired and I deserve the couch. The couch is waiting for me. It's right there saying it would be wonderful if we could spend some time together. And I don't want to make my couch mad, so I go sit down on the couch. And almost always, as soon as I sit down on the couch, there's the question, hey, could you? You know, and the could you means can you get off the couch right now and do A, B, or C? And I would love to say that I willingly always, like, hop off the couch like, yes, dear. Uh, which you can ask Jody. It's usually like, bah! and I give her a list of things that I've already done trying to make it better uh, for what I'm not going to do. I have a, a friend of mine back home that honestly embodies what we're going to talk about today. Um, his, his name is Steve. And Steve, no lie, lives to serve his wife. I feel guilty almost all the time when I'm around him. Because if she asks him to do anything, it doesn't matter what it is, he will. I'm not talking begrudgingly. He didn't get in the car with me later or we're driving to the grocery store because of something she forgot to put on the list. 
He didn't get in the car and be like, I can't believe she did that again because that's what I would do. I'd be like, why didn't she give me that on the first trip? He is like, sure. And I mean, it is sincere. I, I said first service, like I literally something's broken in him. So all the guys were normal. Something's wrong with him. But he literally, I mean, whatever it is, he will he will lovingly do it because he and I, I mean, this next statement makes me sound like I don't love my wife. But he literally he's like is happy to do this. I mean, prime example, um, they had moved into their first house and she was an interior decorator. That's what she went to school for. And she's always kind of making things, you know, beautiful. And um, it was, you know, wonderful. And he wanted to um, serve her, do whatever she asked. And she was like, hey, I've picked out this color. I'd like you to paint our living. And they had a vaulted ceiling uh, in their living room. I want you to paint this color. And it was a brown. And he painted the entire living room, entryway, beautiful job. And as soon as he was done, she was like, it doesn't look good. And like, he literally, she was like, picked out another color. And he, not begrudgingly, he lovingly put on another coat of a different color over a dark brown. Sure, I'd have been like Jody. We're gonna to have to live with that color for at least a year. I gotta get, I gotta get the the work and the paint cost out of that. So we, we've got to. I would, it like I would not have walked out this text in that scenario. But he did. He willingly does all the time, and he is a great example of what this looks like when we when we the reason behind the serving matters not just that you accomplish it and I think sometimes we feel like we've done a good job when we accomplish the task regardless of how we've done it when the person we're doing it for we have even though we've done it it may have completely lost its benefit of for the other person because they know that you do it begrudgingly the problem with this uh, is this battle never ends, the why, but why. And we're going to talk about a text um, that are going to talk about husbands and wives and lead all these, all this to a verse that lots of us, have, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this text. Do all that you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. And that's where we're getting at today. I don't want to kind of like cheat you out of like where we're going to go. I want you to understand that from the beginning, the why matters. So let's pray before we get into the word. Dearly Father, it is um, our benefit that you have provided us with texts that matter. Lord, we declare uh, from the series that we just left that you are the truth. And this word that you've given us is the truth. It expresses your heart for us. It contains our uh, ability to experience joy and peace through walking in the way that you've called us to. You've showed us through your very life what it looks like to be obedient to the Father in spite of what's going on around, in spite of the disapproval of other people, in spite of those literally nailing you on the cross. Where we are grateful for your words that you spoke while you're on the cross. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Lord, we thank you for your heart and your willingness to show us. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would show us through your word. 
And that you would change our heart on how we serve, how we work, what we do for other people. That we would change the why behind it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Colossians. I'm specifically going to be in 3 verses 18 through 26. I believe or 18, 3, 18 through um, chapter 4 verse 1. But I, I want to give you kind of an overview. I think sometimes if, if, you're not, um, if you're not paying attention, you'll kind of miss some things that God wants to do in and through the text because you don't know where the text is from, who it was written to. So this was a letter that Paul wrote from prison while he's in chains from um, being obedient, speaking to who Jesus was, to a church um, in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. So a guy came to visit him in prison, the guy who most likely um, started the church there uh, in Colossae, and he is telling them of their faithfulness, but he's also telling them of the struggle that's going on inside the church. And like all churches, there were some issues there were some things that needed to be tweaked. There were some things that needed to be corrected. Mainly, the main thing that was going on, this was a church that was uh, in modern-day Turkey. This was outside of the, 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 not that there weren't any Jewish people there, but for the most part, this was a Roman town. So he's speaking to Roman citizens who had for a long time had worshipped through their pagan worship and other things. They had worshipped other gods. And what was going on is they had added Jesus to the mix. Like if you've got these, these cards of like who you're going to love and who you're going to worship, Jesus just became one of those others. And Paul wanted to communicate to them from the beginning uh, that Jesus is preeminent. He is above all those others. So this is something right after Paul does his greeting. He's saying, I'm praying for you guys on a daily basis, he begins with the most important thing of establishing Jesus's preeminence over everything, even you. So it's going to be on the screen behind you. Um, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in Him everything, that in, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from one hope, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He is telling them, look, to this church that is struggling with who Jesus is. 
you know, can Jesus be added to the mix? And Paul's saying from the beginning, because we really can't get to the other stuff. The other stuff don't really matter if Jesus is just one of the ones that we obey. If his words are just added to all these other words by all these other gods and all these other things that we do, it's just one of those things that we do. But if he is preeminent, I mean, it's like if he is the beginning and the end, everything started from him. Literally, everything is holding together like we right now are made up of all of these molecules. And I'm not very smart, so I'm not I am smart. I'm not very smart in this area, so I may say things that don't make sense. But uh, here the truth is we're made up by all these small things that are literally being held together. Like you see me as a whole being because God is holding these molecules together. These chairs are chairs because Jesus is willing all those molecules molecules that make up this chair to stay in this form. He is doing all he is before all things he created, even these things that they have worshiped. He's saying at the beginning of everything we have to look at Jesus as being above Everything. And see, Paul was writing these things from prison. Literally seeing the work of God even as he has been arrested and thrown in jail. Literally thrown in jail and in chains for the gospel. And he is praising God for it. I mean, and we should praise God for it because most of what we have and we get to see right now in the word of God happened because Jesus, not Jesus. Because Paul was in prison. I mean, he was going around preaching. He didn't have the time to write, and now he's in prison. He's getting to write these letters to these churches that we get to see who God is. And then he goes on from there telling them, hey, not only is God preeminent, and if he is preeminent, then we need to set our minds on things above. Because what we think matters and how we think about things matters. We did a series not too long ago called mastermind talking about how our thoughts matter and in the kind of main like little thought that went with that is you will move in the direction of your strongest thought whatever you're thinking the most of you're going to move in that direction if you think you're worthless you're going to you're going to move in the direction of of living that out if you think you are a child of God loved by the creator you're going to walk that out if you think that you don't deserve A or B, you're going to walk those things out because we're going to move in the direction of our strongest thought. And then he goes on from there after saying, hey, we've got to set our, thing, our mind on things above, not things below. He goes into this thing, and I encourage you, you know, spend some time in, time in Colossians this week, but he, he goes into this thing of putting to death things of the flesh. Like literally, I mean, that doesn't sound like, hey, we should, we should probably not do these things. Put to death is very strong language that we should eliminate these things from our life because they're painful for the things that are listed there they're things that are going to cause us pain and then he tells us to put on these good things of god to walk those things out so not only put to death some things but putting on the other and so where i want to land today is paul is writing to a broken culture that wasn't worth walking out family life like Jesus was preeminent. They were speaking to a a Roman culture, and in the Roman culture, the husband ruled and reigned everything, and not kindly. He had the power of life and death. He he was the, the rule and reign. And he's saying, God's telling them, he's getting ready to go into these things, that if we're not careful, all these, I mean, literally, let me read first the chapter, chapter 3, verse 18. 
I mean, it can cause some tension. It's going to be on the thing. Wives, submit to your husbands. I mean, there's a lot of tension potentially there because of that verse. And I want you to kind of think about this question as we read through all of these. But why? Why are we submitting? Why are we loving as children? Why are we obeying? Why are we doing those things? And we're going to get to that thought. But he's speaking to a a household system that isn't working. It isn't showing the honor of God. It isn't communicating to the world who Jesus is, that he is preeminent. There's 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 substructures. There's not there's no equality there. There's literally this broken system and Paul is getting ready out of already declaring that Jesus is preeminent above all things that he's going, to, he's going to tell them how they should live, living up, leading up to verse 23, which we'll get to in just a second. So verse 18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Amen. It pleases the Lord, kids. To obey the parents. But why? Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. The reason, the, the why you should do all the things that he's asking is because you're doing them for the right reason. Wives are going to submit to husbands not because they deserve it. Husbands aren't going to love their wives because they deserve it. Children aren't always going to obey their parents because they deserve it. They're going to choose as children of God to be obedient to what he said, serving him. Because, I, I mean, honestly, we, we, can, we can do all of these things correctly but with the wrong heart and miss the service because, you know, I, I, could, I could love my wife as long as it's beneficial to me. I could do these things. There, there was, um, years ago I was doing a premarital counseling with a couple, and I'd read this book, uh, I think it was titled, The Most Important Year in a Man's Life, and you flipped it and read it from the other side, and it would say The Most Important Year in a Woman's Life, and it was from, uh, I think, this text in Numbers that told the young married couples not to, like the husband didn't go to war, he didn't work, they spent that first year, it was so foundational of them getting to know each other and it was telling them like how they get there and so i had this story of this guy an older couple you know seeing these younger couples that moved in across the street kind of love each other through you know silly ways of like the husband literally going and ringing the doorbell even though it's his house and he could enter it at any time and bringing the wife home flowers or little treats or whatever and so they witness this over and over again and the, the the husband of course is oblivious he's in the back watching the panthers game <laughs> i'm just kidding uh, but he is in the back watching the panthers game and um you guys are faithful you are here regardless of the game being on um but he's in the back clueless and the wife of course is very interested in what's going on in the neighborhood and she sees this over and over again and so she finally calls her husband up there and said watch watch and the husband parks in the front yard or you know in the driveway and he goes to the front door he rings the bell and he has flowers and he gives it to the wife and they hug and kiss on the front porch and and the you know the wife across the street is like oh. and she looks at her husband and she said why don't you do that and the husband's like i don't even know her <laughs> 
Like, why would I take her flowers? And it, and it, and it, and it, taught, it literally, in, in my mind, that little silly story made me think, you know, our love for others is witnessed by actions, not words. The longer you're married, the, 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 the word I love you will lose its meaning if there is not action that follows it. If you're not communicating your love by what you do, it's not really love. It's just like, hey, I love you. You don't act like it. And so that led me to asking Jody, like, what are some things that I can do on a regular basis that would communicate love to you? And it's probably the worst thing as a husband you could ever do is get a list of things that you now acknowledge are your responsibility. (laughs) I was naive and young at the time. And I got a list of these things that, and and most of them were pretty simple, like, hey, make sure the trash is taken out. Um, I'm a bad habit of, like, coming home and taking my wallet out, my keys out, my phone out and put it in on our counter and Jody likes things to be where they should be not where I want them to be or where I end up putting them because that's where I was when I decided I didn't want them in my pocket anymore and you know making that area clean making sure that I encourage her often and that I, I, I love and discipline the children love first discipline the children and just little things of doing and so you know there's a part of me that's like i want to do those things to communicate love like last night jody went um to dinner she was gone she left me i um i cooked dinner all by myself i mean and it was a good dinner noah right you were you were pretty excited about it last night you know some orange chicken from uh um, Trader Joe's, some fried rice, some pot stickers from Costco. It was amazing. Um, and, you know, and it made all these pots dirty. And so, you know, I made sure after we got through, because, you know, Jody likes the sink, you know, like empty. And so I, I, I went above and beyond. I, I, I cleaned all the dishes and the silverware, and I put it in the dishwasher, and I set that, I turned it on. I put, you know, the cleaning towel in there, Turned it on, baby. And then, and then not only that, but I hand washed these big pots that wouldn't go in the dishwasher, which we have like a little drying place, which is appropriate for things to go there. But like there was a lot of pots up there. And so you know what I did? I took a dish towel out. I dried those and I put them up. Man, that's how I felt. I was, I was not doing it as unto the Lord. I was doing it as unto Jody better say something when she gets home. And she got home a little bit later, and I didn't say anything immediately. And then we went upstairs, and we were sitting there uh, in our bed, getting ready to go to bed. And I was like, you didn't even say anything. And it's funny, it's almost like God knows what I'm going to teach on. And, and, and it's, it's like the light doesn't come on until after I've already done the deed that I shouldn't have done, like... Treasures in heaven, gone, gone, gone. And in that moment, I wanted the approval. So I wasn't washing those dishes because I'm like, I'm going to love my wife by serving the Lord. Not for her approval, but just because I love him. And that's going to be my motivation. And it it changes us when we have the right heart because it relationships can be ruined by your expectations of what you think you need from the other person. I mean, if you've been married long enough, you understand what I'm talking about. I don't even have to talk about it. I don't even have to give you more details. You understand that you have an expectation of what they should be doing, should be saying, should be actively participating in, and and they're missing the mark, but we don't tell them 
with our words. I don't know what that is. Uh, but we tell them with our attitudes and when we, we respond poorly. And, and here's Jesus saying, and all these things, hus- wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This week, my daughter uh, runs cross country. And it aggravates me that she's not living to her potential time-wise. I think she has the capacity to run faster than she does, which she does. And I normally ruin most of her races by either trying to bribe her, like literally throwing money at it. I'll get, she just got a new phone. I was like, I will give you X off of your phone if you run blah. Or I, will, I mean, I've tried everything of like trying to, I'm trying to find what motivates her to like live to that potential of running. And, and typically during the race, I'm like, Go faster. I'm not like mean, but like she's not wanting to hear it during the race. And so Thursday, I'm, I'm preparing this word and I'm just like, man, I'm setting an ex, I'm putting an expectation on her that's hurting her more than helping her. And it kind of broke, it broke my heart a little bit. And so like I really wanted to see her before the race. So I, I went, I went up to her and I love it when God convicts you and you, you feel like you're going to walk out this thing that God's asked you to do. And I walk up to her and she was like, nothing's going to motivate me to run faster. That's the first thing she said, and I'm like, <laughs> like I'm trying to be good here. And I like, and I just, I looked her in the eye, and I just said, Lydia, I just want you to know, I release you from my expectation of what you should run. You just run you. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to spur you during the run. I'm just, <laughs> I probably aggravated her more this time because every time she passed, I'd be like, I love you, Lydia. But there's a way that we set an expectation on our children that it is discouraging them, which I was doing. And I'm not saying that she shouldn't live to her potential in those things, that we should allow all these things. But in that moment, I felt I was setting an expectation that she couldn't fulfill. And when she didn't feel it, I fulfill it. I'm hurting her more than helping her. And I, and I will say, my reverse psychology works. She got a PR, personal record. She ran faster than she'd ever ran before today. So did Noah. Noah got a PR. Yeah. Noah's in here, so I can't talk about him like that. Um, but there's these things that God's saying, hey, I want you to do them for the right reason. And see, one-third of the population in this time were, were slaves, were bond servants. And some of the bond servants were there willingly. They, they entered into it by their own accord, or they were in it, were, um, they oh, they earn their freedom, but chose to be a, continue to be a bondservant for a master. There's some because of debt and other things that they entered into. But one-third of them were bondservants, were slaves. And Paul isn't condoning slavery, just for the record, just in case, you know, um, our country does not have a good record with this topic. Um, but if you just want to check this out, check out Philemon, which is a really short book that's a little bit later on. Uh, it's another letter that Paul wrote about running this slave that ran away um, named Onesimus. And Paul, at the end of this letter, names Onesimus and refers to him as our faithful and devoted brother. And he actually writes a letter to Philemon telling him to receive him not back as a slave, but as a 
brother in the Lord. He, he literally, I mean, so like, don't get so caught up in this. And in a side, if you want to side homework this week, and I know like most of us don't like homework, but just look at the idea of us being bond servants to the Lord. That literally most of the letters that are written in, in most of the epistles that are written, it's the le- person writing it. And he said, I, a servant, which is the same word, bond servant to the Lord, that we are slaves to a master. And his name is Jesus. So side note. And so he's, he's telling 18 through 22, tells all of these things of how we should do it. And here, here's the why. But why? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when you do, the reason why you do all of these things, these lists of things that we've read over and over again, is you're doing them faithfully, not because the other person deserve it, deserves it. You're doing it to worship the Lord. You're serving Him. The, the but why is because it's not for a person, it's for the Lord. See, by working for Christ rather than other people, we become better, not worse, servants of other people. It's paradoxical, but true. We don't need their good opinion. We're unafraid of their bad, and we're unafraid of their bad opinion. We're freed to serve them better. See, it is hard to effectively serve and lead someone that you need something from. It will be difficult to adequately love your spouse, adequately, adequately serve your boss if you need something from them. And I, I mean, like if you're waiting for your boss to pat you on the back and tell you you're doing a good job or give you that raise, you're going to be stuck in this literally chasing something that you may never get. But when you cease to need that from them, when you cease to need that from your spouse and other people, it changes our ability to serve them because we serve them not so Jody will come home from you know her dinner out and, and tell me how great a husband I am because I, I went above and beyond. I didn't just wash the dishes. I, I dried them and put them up. I'm still robbing myself from it because I keep bringing it up. Yep, I'm awesome, just so you know. <clears throat> but when I, when I cease to do that for her, but I'm just saying everything I do, like I think we look at what happens right here on Sunday morning and what we're getting ready to do in a few seconds after the service is we're going to worship, and we think worship is this. Which it is, don't get me wrong. But like this isn't the only place worship happens. Worship happens at work tomorrow. When you go in and faithfully do a good job, not because you're interested in, in pleasing your boss, but because you're interested in serving your Lord. Because our inheritance... See, I think sometimes we spend all of this, uh, this part of our adult life working for an inheritance that will go away. Working for something that won't last. And he's saying, hey, fix your attention on the inheritance. So a bondservant isn't going to have an opportunity. At the end of his service, while his master is dying, he won't find out that he's in the will. That's just not what happens with bondservants. They aren't entitled to an inheritance because they're a slave. 
So he's saying, hey, don't hope for your freedom, for, for what the inheritance may come from your master, earthly master. Look at it from where it will come from Jesus. Verse 25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. There's no difference. So he's literally listing all these people where, you know, the master is going to be the head, the husband, all these. And you may think they have some partiality. And God's saying everyone will be paid back by their actions, by what they do. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. It is the reason why we treat people correctly is because we understand that we are not our own. That Jesus treated everyone equally. Like he literally, if you read through the Gospels, he treated with respect and honor people that no one else did. The outcast, I mean, literally reading Matthew. Matthew is this gospel that's written to outcast. I mean, the genealogy, which we don't pay much to it, has it lists, like, it, it, it's not their highlight. It's not the, all the good names that you want to see. I mean, they put women in there, which was very unusual because he wanted them in the whole book, I believe, is written to this idea that I'm for the outcast. I'm for those that don't belong. I want to bring people in. So here, here's a thought. Here's where I want us to kind of push through uh, and change. Because the reality is, unless we do something internally, this won't do anything. Unless God really does something in us, we're not going to change our work habits tomorrow. Because when we get to work tomorrow, something's going to drive us crazy. And it's going to set us in motion. So I came in this morning... And I have this love-hate relationship with this new computer that we just bought. Love-hate because I love it when it works, and I hate it, hate it when it doesn't. It didn't work this morning. Like, this, this, you see this right here? This is a miracle from heaven. Because for 45 minutes, there was nothing but a blue screen that says HDMI, no connection. Miracle from heaven. And I have the, the thing propped up and I'm I'm climbing on the floor and there's so many things that were going on this morning and I'm literally I know the text I'm preaching I, I know like in my brain the Holy Spirit's keep going why why are you doing this like you know because I'm getting I'm, I'm I'm starting to get frustrated because like this isn't working and I'm like why do you hate me Jesus it's not just for me it's for everyone else but the truth is we can be fueled by things that we shouldn't be fueled by. I mean, honestly, most of my tension that I experience when things aren't working well on Sunday is fear of what your experience will be. Honestly, it is literally, I'm afraid that this is going to be, like I'm thinking we may have a new family here and they're thinking everybody else knows the words of this song so much so that they don't even put them on the screen. I mean, of course, we don't. But they're thinking, like, why aren't there words on the screen? And, like, and in me, it's not because, like, I want to honor the Lord by this. I'm, I'm, I'm fueled, and, and the anxiety that I'm experiencing is not coming from the Lord. It's coming from my fear of your experience. Instead of going, I'm, and to, the, to the best of my ability, I'm going to make these things work. 
And I, I will shelter that because I, I, I want this to be a good experience, but I want it to be a good experience for the right reasons. <clears throat> so I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. And here, here's, a, here's a question, a challenge question. Is how would this change your Monday morning? Tomorrow. And this isn't like, well, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I fill in the blank. Whatever you do, what if tomorrow, and, I, and I, here, here's a little tip for you. If you want it to change, you're going to have to start your morning off acknowledging a change. Because if you just think, hey, I'm going to get there and I'm going to do it, no. Like before you walk into work, before you wake your kids up in the morning, if you want something to be different, you just say, hey, God, I'm trusting you. I am serving you by loving my children, by getting them ready, by in this chaos. Like I'm going to be trusting you, looking for you. When I go to work, I'm not, I'm not there to serve the master, I'm there to serve you. And, and I'm going to do a good job regardless of what other people are doing because I'm worshiping you by my actions. Like literally, what would our world look like if believers treated this text like it was the Word of God? Treated this text like it was the truth and our truth and, and our joy and peace and, and all the good things that we get from God are going to be coming from serving Him wholeheartedly. What would it look like? You know, I honestly believe, and I had a conversation with a, a guy at first service afterwards, and he said, I think it would, it would before the gospel would be preached, it would, it would communicate who God is to us. Because I honestly believe people are looking to us when, they, when they, they know you say, oh, I go to church and I'm a Christian, they're looking to see if what you say is true. And I believe that if we began to treat work like this, everyone would take notice because, you know, I don't sit around a water cooler, but like that's just the phrase, you know, the water cooler conversations would be different. The, the, the mommy conversations would be different about what's going on with our world because we're looking at it from a different lens. We're not just aggravated by what we're faced with, but we're choosing to serve God. What if that was our truth? Because it is the truth, literally, that we're called by God to do everything as, it, as our work is for the Lord. So who are you working for? And if it's, if it's not Jesus, if it's not you know, out of worship for him, then you're going to be fighting a battle the rest of your life. I mean, from the beginning of days, from Genesis, I mean, work is toil. Like, that's a promise. So when work is aggravating and you feel like it's an uphill battle... From the beginning, that was our really our curse that we walked into because of Adam and Eve, because of what happened in the garden, because of sin. We were walking into it, but we can redeem. All authority has been given to God for us to walk out of those things. What would our Monday look like if we decided to do everything we do inside and outside of the house as for the Lord? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I thank you for the conviction that you bring. 
Lord, I thank you for our awareness of our failures because it helps us see how we can invite you into things that we're not succeeding in. And the dishes illustration is comical and all these other things are comical, but the truth is most of what we do isn't for you. And because it's not for you, we're chasing after something that isn't going to satisfy us. We're looking for that approval, for that pay raise, for that promotion, for that child to finally say, thank the Lord you're my mom and dad. Lord, I pray that you would radically right now transform our hearts to see this text as a call for us to demonstrate who you are in us by everything we do. Every task that we put our hands to, Lord, I pray that you would bring to our mind that we would acknowledge that we're choosing to do it for you. And Lord, I thank you that you are gracious and patient. But you're calling us into something that will give us life. Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And and, and that's where we want to be. We want to use every moment of our life, even this next moment when we go into worship, is we want to do that to honor you. Lord, you know where every single one of us are currently, positionally. Lord, you you know how much we need you. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would show yourself to us. That we would understand that you're worthy to be worshipped. That you're worthy to sacrifice everything. Lord, I pray that you would give us the same mentality as Paul. That we would even see our darkest days as a work that you're doing that can benefit us and others. And so Lord, we just thank you for your grace and mercy as we worship you, Lord. We pray that you would be honored. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.